Well, let's find our way to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, believe it or not, that is an actual picture of Bartimaeus. No, it's not. Last week, we talked about ministry fundamentals from Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45, as we've been making our way through the gospel of Mark. Some fundamentals, if you want to be, uh, if you want to be um, faithful and productive in the ministry, number one, you've got to pay attention to your master. Pay attention to what he's saying. You've got to properly appreciate his message, and you've got a purpose to appropriate his mindset. Mark chapter 10, verse number 46. Let's read verse 45 because that is the key verse of the gospel of Mark, the key verse of the gospel of Mark, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I'm reading that with a little bit of emphasis, but not nearly as loud as he would have been screaming it. I'll do you the favor of not illustrating that. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still. And commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. Boy, what a crowd. One minute they're telling him to shut up and get to the back of the group and just, just stop it. What's wrong with you? And next time, hey, be of good He's calling for you. Come on, brother. Yeah, probably Baptist. <laughs> Verse 50, And he, casting away his garment, rose. And came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? How interesting that that's the second time in this chapter that Jesus asked that question. Go back to verse 36 when James and John and their mother came to him. What would ye that I should do for you? A markedly different tone the second time, isn't it? The first time Jesus had no intention of giving them what they wanted. This time I believe he has every intention of giving this man what he asks for. The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Father, would you help us now as we look to your word? May we glean from it exactly what we need tonight. We'll not glean everything that's there, we can't do that in the time we have allotted. That's what eternity is for. But Lord, would you give us what we need for this hour? Would you speak to us? Help me to rightly divide your word of truth, be faithful with it, and bring honor and glory to Christ. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Now, let's go ahead and deal with a couple of things that people like to bring up about this story. Mark and Luke focus on Bartimaeus. Matthew says there were two blind men. This is not a contradiction. It just means that for whatever reason, they focused on, uh, Mark and Luke focused on just Bartimaeus. Perhaps he was the more vocal of the two, very much like the demoniacs in Gadara. We see a story about one, but there were two of them there. 
It could be that they didn't see the need to focus on the other because ultimately he didn't follow Christ. Tradition says that Bartimaeus became a leader in the early church. That's just conjecture, but it's possible. But it doesn't represent any kind of a contradiction. Another contradiction that people like to imagine is Luke says Jesus was coming into Jericho while Matthew and Mark say he was headed out. Oh no, what do we do with this? This is actually an easy one. There were two Jerichos. There was old Jericho and there was new Jericho. And Jesus could very well be heading out of one and into another. Easy peasy. It all depends on which, which perspective they're looking from. I'm sorry, from which they're looking yeah, I fixed that. I don't want Miss Collins coming after me because I ended my sentence on a preposition. Um, or my students, for that matter, I railed in Bible class about how the Bible book is written. Pitiful, pitiful grammar in one, one paragraph. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, there's, another, there's another possibility as well. If Jesus is heading into Jericho and the man calls for him and he stops and walks back toward him, what's he doing now? He's heading out. So this isn't any kind of a contradiction either. I'm all for taking a, a, a logical look at Scripture. But some people go to the Scriptures looking for something wrong. And if you have that kind of an attitude, you're always going to find something to quarrel with, and you're never going to really be what you ought to be for Christ. See, At some point, faith has to kick in. That doesn't mean that you don't ask questions, but... Some folks are in it for less than noble reasons. Oh, how about some fun facts? This is the last of Jesus' healing miracles. It's recorded in Mark. In fact, he only has a couple more at all. It's the last time Jesus will pass Jericho. It's one of only a handful of miracles in which it actually names the person being healed. Three to be exact. So what of Bartimaeus? He kind of got started off wrong. It says his name is Bartimaeus, but then it says the son of Timaeus. Now, if it didn't say the son of Timaeus, we would just say, okay, that's the son of Timaeus. But when it says Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, Bar Timaeus means son of Timaeus. So he's the son of Timaeus, son of Timaeus. His first name was son of Timaeus. It'd be like me being John Davis, John Davis's son, John Davis. Kind of wordy. So he didn't really have his own identity. Timaeus, it seems to me Timaeus was maybe a little stuck on himself. You know? So already he's got a couple things stacked against him. And that, and he's blind. It's not clear if he was blind from birth, but certainly at this point in his life he's in a bad place and has a real need. Jesus healed this man, but he also saved him. And here's how we know. In verse 52, it says, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. The word whole there in verse 52, when it's used in the New Testament, it almost always refers to a spiritual healing, not just a physical one. But we've got something else to lean on too. Luke's account, Luke 18.42 says, Thy faith hath saved thee. Thy faith hath saved thee. So this wholeness that he enjoyed came from his faith. It came from the faith of Bartimaeus. Now here's the question I want to ask tonight. When did this faith first manifest itself? 
We're going to find that this faith was shown from the very beginning of the story. And it represents the kind of faith that the Lord wants to see in all of us. In fact, I'll go this far. I'm doubling my alliteration tonight. Doubling it. The marks of the master's favorite faith. The marks of the master's favorite faith. What do we see in this man, Bartimaeus, that shows us what kind of faith we need to possess and we need to have acted in our life that Jesus just loves? Just loves that kind of faith, all right? Here's the first one. You ready? It's a faith that knows its Bible. It's a faith that knows its Bible. Look at verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now, son of David was a messianic title. And it's, it's easy to believe this man was a Jew, and he had a right to use that phraseology, unlike the Syrophoenician woman. Son of David. So he knew enough about the word of God to know that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, what I've heard about him matches up with what the Old Testament tells me. He wouldn't have called it that then, but matches up with what the word tells me about who Messiah is. He at least knew that. At least knew that. Two things he understood about Jesus. He understood Jesus' magnitude. The son of David, he's the Messiah. He's a big deal. And in that, he understood what he could do. When he says, Jesus, the son of David, he's saying, I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you have that kind of a magnitude. And I believe that you are able to help me. You can do this. But here's what else he's saying. He says, have mercy on me. He knows of Jesus' mercy, his magnitude, but he also knows his mercy. So he knows what he can do. And he knows what he will do. Now, sometimes, if I'm honest with you, my prayer life gets stunted halfway into that. I have no question as to what God can do. I mean, just let's use my favorite example, the Family Life Center. I have never wavered on the idea that God can provide that for us. Where I waver is on what he will do. Here's, here's what I can tell you. You can never go wrong driving your stakes down into the mercy of God. I don't know exactly what he'll do, but I know that I serve a merciful God. That over and over in the Psalms it says his mercy endureth forever. And if I've got nothing else to lean on, I'm going to lean on what he can do, and that when he does it, it'll be merciful. That's where this guy was, and that's the kind of faith that's his favorite. A faith that knows its Bible. (coughs) Then number two, a faith that can't be silenced. Verse 48, and many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me he knew that this may be his only shot can I tell you something friend 
when it comes to serving God, you don't have an unlimited number of options and opportunities. Certainly when it comes to being saved, there's not, there, we're not granted all kinds of opportunities to be saved. And once you are saved, you don't just assume, well, I'll have another chance to witness to that person. I'll have another chance to give that over to God. I'll have another chance to do this that he's asked me to do. No, you, you just assume this is your shot. And you don't let anybody shut you up about it either. It's been said that the measure of your faith is what or who can keep you from Jesus. In this man's case, nothing could and no one could. He's just going to keep on hollering. A faith that can't be silenced. Hey, can I give you something for free here? Sometimes my faith isn't silenced from people without. Sometimes it's silenced by the guy within. I can't tell you how many times I've talked myself out of the goodness of God in my life. You'll never do that for me. The kind of guy that I am. Man, I messed up so bad today, and God's not going to help me with this. God's not going to. Don't talk yourself out of God's goodness. He's not talking you out of it. A faith that can't be silenced. And just like he was having to, maybe he was having to push away from these people. Just hush, I'm talking to Jesus. Just hush. Maybe sometimes you got to look in the mirror and say, you know what, you just hush. Flesh, you're wrong. Satan, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And quit listening to the world. And keep crying out for Christ. A faith that can't be silenced is his favorite kind of faith. A faith that knows its Bible is his favorite kind of faith. Here's one that, that seems pretty elementary, but think about it. A faith that believes God will hear. Verse 49 says, he, he cried the more a great deal, the son of David have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. This guy had this crazy notion that even though I am surrounded by literally Thousands of people that are making all kinds of noise. Jesus is going to hear me. Now, why do I say thousands? Because they're all headed to Jerusalem for the Passover. Jerusalem is about to be packed full of people on this. It's one of three most holy days. Everybody's coming. And this guy is at Jericho and he's in his normal spot and he's surrounded by these thousands of people and they're rejoicing or they're talking or they're laughing and he's got this crazy idea that if I'll just keep calling him, at some point he's going to hear me. But how many times have we let the world, the flesh, or the devil convince us that God doesn't hear us? We often pray or maybe don't pray as though God doesn't hear us and by extension doesn't care. My friend, I got news for you. He does hear us and he does care. Well, my Bible tells me if I regard iniquity in my heart, he won't hear me. That's true. So get it right with God so he can hear you. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There, take care of it. And then get to praying. What's his favorite kind of faith? A faith that knows its Bible, a faith that can't be silenced, a faith that believes God will hear, and a faith that needs only Jesus. Verse 50. 
Verse 49 says, Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called, and they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. That's significant. That garment, that outer cloak was his most valuable possession. It's what kept him warm. It's what kept him dry. It's what kept him reasonably protected. It's the most valuable thing he had as a beggar. But that cloak was worth nothing compared to the prospect of getting to Jesus. And if that cloak was going to hinder him, if that cloak was going to keep him from getting to Jesus fast enough, that cloak can go. Because this faith didn't need the cloak. It just needed Jesus. Something that, about which I have to remind myself all the time. If the devil really wants to get to me, he uses technology. We put these in because we felt like these would be an upgrade and this would help people. And I believe it has. I believe it has. But if you've been attending here any time at all, you know that every once in a while, they don't work. Or the live stream goes down. The internet's down. Something blows up. Drives me nuts. Because you know this never happens to anybody else. We, we try to put things in place that, that make the general worship experience more enjoyable. And that's a good thing. I'm not against that. And we want the place to look nice and everything else. But I got to constantly remind myself, all we need fellowship is Jesus. He does not need these screens. He does not need air conditioning. He does not need padded pews. Truth is, he doesn't need me. What's the only thing that needs to be here for us to have a profitable time together? His word. And if his word is proclaimed as it should be, that's showing that all we need is Jesus. And sometimes we can get so, like, like me, man, I type up my, my message and I've highlighted here and I've color-coded here, got all that straight, and then I go to print it and the copier won't print it. So I come in here complaining to Brother Davies, dumb copier. Or these aren't working. Because I've spent, I've spent an hour or more putting all the slides together and everything. You say, well, Andy, why don't you get somebody else to do that? Because I'm cantankerous and I want them to be a certain way. That's just how I am. Some of you are like that too. I'm, I'm persnickety. It's not that I'm the only one who knows how to do it. It's not that I'm the best at it. It's just my thing. I feel productive. And sometimes... I go through all that work, and they don't show. And that's God's way of reminding me, I don't need them. And we put all kinds of things together, and that's fine. And we want the lighting to be sufficient, and we want the instruments to be tuned. And we, That's all great. But at the end of the day, folks, all we need is Jesus. 
Now, I'm not saying I'm ready to get rid of all that, but I better know that I could and it'd be okay. A faith that needs only Jesus. We're still in verse number 50. A faith that trusts his goodness. We're still talking about him casting that coat to the side. Said, and he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. At that point, he didn't know for sure that Jesus would heal him. But I'll tell you what he did know. He did know that whatever Jesus did would be better than what he had. You know why? Because he understood this real simple principle. Jesus is good. And all he can do is good. And I wonder how many times our faith is stunted because we forget or flat out disbelieve that Jesus has our best interests in mind. No matter what you're facing, I want you to know something, friend. God is always only good. He is not capable of doing bad by us. That doesn't mean we're always going to like what he does, but it is always for our good and his glory, always and this guy understood that. I, listen, I don't know if he's going to heal me, but I'm throwing this coat to the side because whatever I get from him is going to be better than what I had. That's a faith that he likes. So his favorite kind of faith is a faith that knows it's Bible, a faith that can't be silenced, a faith that believes God will hear, a faith that needs only Jesus, a faith that trusts his goodness. And in verse 51, we see a faith that's completely surrendered. Verse 51. Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Now, the most interesting word in that whole exchange is the word Lord. You don't need to know Hebrew and Greek to benefit from your Bible. And God gave us a Bible in English, and we're thankful for that. But sometimes you, you miss such wonderful truths when you don't dig a little bit. The word for Lord here is not the usual word for Lord. In fact, if I'm honest with you, I'm not exactly sure why the translators use the word Lord, except that's what it means. The word that they use here is Rabboni. It only shows up one other time in the New Testament. That's in John chapter 20 when Jesus came up to Mary Magdalene in the garden. And he spoke her name, Mary, and she knew who he was. And she turned around and she called him Rabboni. Now, many times Rabbi is translated master. But Rabboni is a little bit different. Rabbi means you are my sovereign master. You have complete autonomy in my life. And so what this man is saying when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? The first thing he does is he calls him his sovereign master. I am completely and wholly surrendered to you. Now, he still asks specifically what he wants. That's okay. But it's with the understanding that you are my sovereign Lord and I submit to whatever you have for me. And that's really how we all should pray, isn't it? Lord, this is what I'd like for you to do. This is what I'm asking you to do. But I do it with understanding you are my sovereign Lord and whatever you do will be right. Now, that's easy praying. Hard living, isn't it? It's hard to really mean that. But it's what we should be thinking. 
A faith that's so surrendered is not likely to go unrewarded. You come to Jesus with that kind of an attitude, you're going to get something. I can't say what, but you're going to get something. I mean, think about your own kids. If your kid comes to you with such a humble, loving, submissive spirit, are you not going to feel compelled to do something? And we're faulty parents. We have a sin nature. How much more does God in heaven, who's perfect, want to do good things for us? The faith that's his favorite is a faith that knows its Bible a faith that can't be silenced, a faith that believes God will hear, a faith that needs only Jesus, a faith that trusts his goodness, a faith that's completely surrendered. We're still in verse number 51. A faith that gets specific. How often are prayers unanswered because we don't really ask for anything? Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, just bless me. Lord, just meet the need. I'm guilty of it, and so are you. We pray in generalities instead of getting specific. Now, it's not that God doesn't know what we need and what we want, but he wants us to say it. You have not because you ask not. You ever had your kid come in and kind of beat around the bush on something, and you finally say, will you just tell me what you want? My oldest, when she comes in and says, Daddy, oh boy. Because she's already into the dad phase. So when it's Daddy, she's endearing herself to me. And she is buttering me up. And here's what she'll do. She'll climb up on me and she'll go, You smell good. Thanks. I love you. I love you too. Now, what do you want? (laughs) Can I just tell you, you don't have to butter God up. Tell him what you need. You remember the old song, Jesus on the main line. Tell him what you want. Does that mean you're always going to get it? No. But he wants you to pray specifically, doesn't he? John R. Rice wrote a whole book about it. He said, prayer is just asking and receiving. Pray specific prayers. I'm so bad about Lord, bless the missionaries. What in the world does that even mean? Like they're just walking around on their respective mission fields and all of a sudden, oh, I've been blessed. Thank you, preacher. I'll tell you what they need. They need money. They need favor with their governments. They need power from God to minister to the people. They need protection. They need good health. They have families that miss them. They need all those things. How about we talk about those things specifically? That's what they need. And then finally, his favorite kind of faith is a faith that knows its Bible, a faith that can't be silenced, a faith that believes God will hear, a faith that needs only Jesus, a faith that trusts his goodness, a faith that's completely surrendered, a faith that gets specific, and then finally, a faith that follows. 
Verse 52. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. As I said before, there's a tradition that says that Barnabas, or Bartimaeus rather, became a very, very big figure in the early church. I don't know that that's true, but it wouldn't surprise me. If you've been blind in the condition he was, would you not want to follow Jesus? And yet, how many times has God rewarded our faith and we stayed stationary? Now, here's where the real question is, and it's a tough one. Would that man have followed Jesus if he hadn't healed him? I've got a funny feeling that he would have because of all the other things we see that we like about him. I believe he would have. Now let's ask ourselves that question. If God doesn't give me what I ask for, do I have the faith that will follow him anyway? I hope so. But I can tell you this, the faith that he loves is a faith that follows. It stays with him. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Did you know that at the point that Jesus touched this man's eyes, depending on where he was in Jericho and where the cross was located in Jerusalem, he was 15 to 18 miles from his death. that close I don't know that Jesus told him this but when he followed him could it be that Jesus said when I get to Jerusalem I'm going to die he's still coming we don't know if he followed him all the way to that we know that when Jesus was taken in the garden all men forsook him they eventually found their way back. And maybe Bartimaeus was in that number. Will I follow him wherever? Wherever he leads, I'll go. This is a faith that follows, that gets specific, that's completely surrendered, that trusts his goodness, that needs only Jesus, that believes God will hear. It can't be silenced and knows its Bible. These are the marks of the master's favorite faith. Next week, Lord willing, the triumphal entry. And Jesus is now on a direct course to Calvary. I'll be honest with you. It's from this point on until the resurrection, it gets pretty dark. but it didn't stay that way. Got pretty light that Sunday morning, didn't it? We thank the Lord for that.